Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 and we'll read from verse 11 right down to verse 25. First Peter chapter 2, a reading of course from verse 11, breaking in to the chapter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, children if you find the place. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if, when ye do well, and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verse 21. It reads, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And my theme today is to ponder the fact that Christ also suffered for us. 
Now there's three things from this text as we open up this portion of scripture that I want to set before you. Let's think first of all of the context of Christ's suffering. The word for in verse 21 can be translated because. Because even here unto were ye caught. And we've got to ask ourselves, why did Paul mention again, because Christ also suffered for us? And I want you to simply grasp the fact that Peter's writing to a suffering people. The people of God are in the furnace of affliction. They are enduring fiery trials. Isn't this what he's already said to them in chapter 1 and in the verse 8? That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold it perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And these trials, folks, are real. They are hard. And God's people are finding it most difficult to cope. Now I want to point out that there's nothing strange here with God's people experiencing uh, fiery trials. Over there in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 10, God said to Israel, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And you see, being a Christian, being born again of the Spirit of God, belonging to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, doesn't exempt you from trials. It doesn't exempt you from hardship. It doesn't exempt you from illness or sickness or anything like that. Isn't it so true that trials and troubles when they come into our lives and whatever shape and form they come they're very difficult to bear with and um, naturally humanly speaking we want to recoil it from the trial naturally we maybe have a feeling of rebellion in our heart concerning the trial but let's remember that Peter is writing to a suffering people God's people in his day are being persecuted. The hatred in men's hearts and minds is bubbling up and boiling over. God's people are viewed with suspicion. They're the the butt of slander. Remember he says in verse 12, Whereas they speak against you as evildoers. They're the talk of the town. These people are accused of sin. These people are blamed as being a blot on society and there's a a natural spirit of hostility against them this is not a secret campaign this is not something that's underhand or out of sight this is an open campaign and and it's deliberately designed to destroy God's people and God's people are suffering Physical hardship and persecution. And it's a period of horrendous trials for them. Think of 
families turning against other family members. There's open disapproval. Maybe a dad to a son. Maybe a mother to a daughter. Maybe parents to to, to their children. Uh, Friends are deriding other friends. They're they're denying them um, things. He he mentions here about uh, servants be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle but also to the fruitward. He recognises that as domestic slaves they're working for masters. And oftentimes the masters, because they were simply Christians, were not good to them and were not gracious toward them. And the workplace, instead of being a pleasant place, it is a battlefield. And even the political figures of the day were against them. And their good work that was done was viewed as evil. And the best efforts that they uh, rendered in society, they were held in contempt. Add to that their physical suffering. Add to that certain family problems. Add to that difficulties in business. Add to that the oppression of the devil. You see, they're a suffering people. And to encourage them, the Apostle Peter makes much of Christ. And you see, He points the saints of God to Christ. (coughs) Suffering saints pointed to a suffering saviour. Peter, whenever he thought of the art of preaching to an afflicted people, what can he say? How can he help them? He doesn't just come and say, well, fellows and girls, let's just cheer up. Let's just grit our teeth and get on with it. Let's have a stiff upper lip. He didn't say, well, keep rejoicing. He didn't say, do this or do that. He didn't say, follow this precept or hold to this promise. Peter's majoring on how best to endure their trials. And here's the key. Get your eyes on the Saviour. As we were singing there deliberately this morning, never lose sight of Jesus. It's not Peter's own experience. Remember when Peter was on the Sea of Galilee and he's there in the boat. It's the fourth watch of the night. We read Jesus went unto them walking in the sea. That Sea of Galilee, by the way, is uh, 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. And, and it's, it, it's got mountains all around it. The Bible tells us here, and when the disciples saw him walking in the sea, they were troubled, saying it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. What had happened? Jesus had fed the 5,000. He sent the multitude away. He, he told the disciples to get into a boat and go to the other side of the lake, uh, which they attempted to do. And then he went up into a mountain, the Bible says, to pray. And now it's the fourth watch of the night. And he he comes to them walking on the water. And they think it's a spirit and and they're afraid. But straightway Jesus spake and said unto them, Be of good cheer as I, be not afraid. Now listen to this. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. 
And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked in the water to go to Jesus. Now isn't that great? He got his eyes in Christ. And he was walking in the water just like he's walking in dry ground. And he wasn't sinking. And then it says in verse 30, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. You see, Peter is remembering his own experience in the Sea of Galilee. And he's remembering those moments, precious as they were, when he had his eyes on him. And he was able to walk in that water, coming down out of the boat. And then he remembers the time he took his eyes off him. And he saw the waves. And he heard the wind. And he became fearful. And, and he was robbed of faith. And how he cried out, Lord, save me. And of course that experience never left him. And here's a, a different set of circumstances now. Circumstances that are just as real. God's people are being physically afflicted. They're being mentally oppressed. They're, 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 they're being spiritually opposed. And what's his answer to them? Keep your eyes on Christ. Isn't this what he's saying to them? For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us. See, he's talking in verse 20 about their suffering. He says, But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Because even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us. If you have a clear vision of Christ, you can overcome any opposition you can overcome any situation and difficult set of circumstances. Keeping your eyes on Christ, truly gazing on him. Isn't this the um, scriptural emphasis in the book of Hebrews? If we think about Hebrews chapter 1, sorry, chapter 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of your profession, Jesus Christ. Think of the word consider. Take him into your mind. Keep your eye of faith on him. Uh, again in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12 uh, and verse 2 oh and 3. God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. See. He specially mentions, consider him. And in the context here in Peter, he especially mentions, consider the sufferings of Christ. Because Christ also suffered for us. Now, now six times he mentions here in this chapter, suffered for us. And what's clearly in view here? Is the suffering of Christ. And the sufferings of Christ. Are what we're to keep our eyes on in particular. Even as we suffer. Isn't it true that Christians have feelings. And we have emotions. 
And when we deal with things that we feel are unfair, things that are unjust and things that are not nice, and the, the devil comes and suggests to us, you know, you should be getting even here with this individual. You should be seeking revenge. Why don't you respond in kind? Give as good as you get. Why do you have to suffer this? You shouldn't be expected to endure or carry this burden and hardship. Don't be submissive. Fight back. Give a piece of your mind. Isn't that what the devil tells us to do? But the Lord Jesus would say to us, don't react like the world. Remember what he told us there in Matthew chapter 5 and in the verse 44. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount that I've already made reference to. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, he says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. That's not easy. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise in the evil and the good, and sendeth rain in the just and in the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward of ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And the word perfect means uh, wholly uh, committed here. Uh, over there in uh, Thessalonians, in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and the, the verse 15, we have got uh, similar advice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and uh, verse 15. Um, he, he, he says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Remember Romans 12, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Don't act like the world. Because you're my children, then I want you to react differently in your midst of suffering, whatever the suffering is. And of course we have to say, but Lord, that's not easy to put into practice. We don't like to suffer. Especially when we're suffering unjustly and unfairly. And Peter's saying to them, here's how you ought to react. He's saying you can live for Jesus Christ in the hardest and in the most difficult of circumstances. How? By keeping your eyes on him. Gaze on his suffering for you. Be like Christ. You've been called to suffer. Just remember that. That that's part and parcel of being a Christian. And in your suffering, consider Christ. Consider his suffering. That's the context here. Notice secondly, and very quickly, the characteristics of Christ's suffering. It says, because Christ also suffered for us. And let's ask ourselves for a moment, how, how did Christ suffer? And, and we answer, first of all, he suffered voluntarily. Isn't, isn't this what, what he told us there in John chapter 10? At least he told his disciples in John 10 and verse 17, he he said to them, making it abundantly clear, um, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received 
of my Father. Now think of Christ suffering at the hands of men. Suffering unjustly. Uh, suffering that involved in spitting at him. Scourging him. Slapping him. Uh, stripping him naked. Spiking him to the cross. His suffering was done publicly, not in a corner. He was a public spectacle. It was done shamefully, painfully. He, he, he suffered it meekly. Why? Because he came voluntarily into the world. I lay down my life of myself. This commandment I received of my Father. Why did Jesus Christ come into our world? Why did he climb down the long ladder of humiliation? Why was he born in Bethlehem uh, in the way that he was? Whenever he was in Gethsemane, remember, he his um, very pores oozed his own blood. When he stood in Gabbatha at the judgment hall and was treated in the way that he did, when they got him to Golgotha and nailed him to the tree, you see, it was all voluntarily. I want you to understand that. There's no man laid his hand in Christ Without Christ allowing that man to lay his hand upon him. Uh, let me explain. Whenever the Ark of the Covenant was returned from the land of the Philistines. And uh, the Ark of course was in a new cart. And there was oxen uh, on the cart that had just newly calved. Uh, and um, Uzziah, he, he decided because that the oxen had stumbled that he thought the ark was going to fall off and he put his hand out and he touched the ark and he was struck dead immediately. And I believe that if an individual had laid hand in Christ and Christ wasn't willingly and voluntarily going along with what the man's intentions were, that man would have been struck dead. He'd have been plunged into hell itself for all eternity. But Christ subjected himself to give himself voluntarily to this world, to the suffering of death on the cross. It, of course, pleased the Father. And he said, I do always those things that please the Father. And it was the Father's pleasure to bruise Christ. Isaiah 53 and 10. Suffered voluntarily. Also... He suffered vicariously. Three times in First Peter we read the word suffered for us. Now this of course speaks of sympathy, doesn't it? Suffered for us. Meaning of course on our behalf. Or instead of us. Or for the good of us. Or for the benefit of us. You see, let's understand that Christ was interested in us and in our salvation. And he was interested in the eternal covenant of redemption and in the covenant of grace to be savingly attached and joined to us. And all that we experience, all the goodness we receive, all the grace we receive comes to us, not of ourselves, not of merit on our part, but comes to us through Christ. Here suffering saints, and they're reminded of 
a sympathetic saviour, a saviour who has suffered for them, and a saviour who knows all that they experience, a saviour who is uh, touched uh, with the very feeling of our infirmity. Isn't this what um, Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4? For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And of course, his sympathy is full. When our circumstances are hard, when we are coping with, say, disability, coping with illness, coping with problems that are just mind-boggling and causing us such as meant pain and worry and fret. Let's remember that even though we're suffering and enduring that, it's but light affliction in comparison to what Christ suffered. And of course the truth is that we'll never be in hell, because we're in Christ, we'll never suffer the wrath of God, we'll, we'll never face the anger of a sin-hating God alone, because God receives us and accepted us in Christ, and Christ is sympathy for us. It also speaks of substitution. Look there at chapter 3, verse 18. We read, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You see, Christ not only suffered for us vicariously as a sympathetic saviour, but he suffered for us vicariously as far as being a substitute for our sins is concerned. Christ suffered, or has once suffered for sins. That means on account of our sins. Our sins was really the reason for his suffering. What we sang there this morning, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. It speaks of substitution. He was there in our place on account of our sins. But it also speaks of satisfaction. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. See Christ not only was a substitute for his people. But Christ satisfied the divine wrath of his heavenly father. He satisfied by his death on the cross and bloodshedding the wrath of God for me. We were unjust, but he was the just one. And now we hear unjust can be justified by his blood, legally declared righteous. Isn't that the ground of our assurance? You know, I spent many weeks speaking to the late Henry Graham, who died on Tuesday, and I tried to assure Henry that our assurance was based in the words of Scripture. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. There was a wee boy and having doubt with assurance. And he read in the Bible. He that believeth hath everlasting life. And he shoved the Bible in below the, ditch, the, the, the chair that he was kneeling on. And he said to the devil. Here have a read at that. See the words of scripture bring assurance to us. But also the work of the saviour. It is finished. You see our salvation 
rests on the atoning blood sacrifice of Christ. And we need to get our eyes on that. Not, not in our tears. Not in our decision. Not in our prayer. Did, did we pray the right prayer? Did we say it the right way? Was it the right tone? Not in our feelings. These are incidental things. And I know that many have tears. We have made a decision. Yes, we do offer prayer. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes, we do have feelings. Some have none and, and some have more than others. But our assurance rests on the atoning sacrifice of Christ. He finished the work 100%. And then, of course, with the witness of the Spirit. That's the ground of our assurance. Because Christ has satisfied the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let me ask you this morning, are you trusting in Christ? Is he your Lord and Saviour? Is your eyes on the atoning blood sacrifice of the Redeemer? Also, he, 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 he suffered victoriously. It, it, it says in the Bible here, because Christ also suffered for us. That's in the past tense, isn't it? Now their sorrows were real. Their suffering was real. And Peter of course doesn't want to, to minimize their suffering. But he's saying to them, get your eyes of your suffering and get your eyes on Christ who suffered for us. Get your eyes on his. Because he's now the victor. He has overcome isn't this what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and in the uh, verse uh, 10 uh, where it talks about making the captain of our salvation perfect through uh, suffering. Yes, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. You see, the, 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 the grand basis of it all is the suffering of Christ. And in the crucible we can be victorious. In the furnace of affliction we can be victorious. We can know real joy. We can experience inner peace. Peace with God. Peace in the midst of the storm. We, 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 can, we, we can be able to cope. How? Because our hope is in him who suffered victoriously. It's in the past tense. And one final thought. And then we'll come back to this. The conquest of Christ's suffering. Not only the context, which is important. Writing to a suffering people to get their eyes in Christ. And not only the characteristics of Christ's suffering voluntarily, vicariously and victoriously. Get your eyes on that this morning. But here's the conquest of Christ's suffering. He left us an example. That ye should follow his steps. You see, Jesus has showed us how to live. Jesus has not only showed us how to live in his life, but he showed us how to live through his death. And that's a tremendous subject. Maybe a subject all in itself. We encouraged the children this morning to, to read their Bible. We told the children that the scriptures were like honey, sweet, soothing and special. And what sweet <coughs> words it is to read about Christ. But what soothing words to our soul. Here's a saviour who's shown us how to live in his life. And a so saviour who's shown us how to live. Even through his death. 
Doesn't he mention that in the context? He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, reviled not again. Think of Christ in Gabbatha. Think of Christ in Gethsemane when he was arrested. Think of Christ in Golgotha. Think of the sayings of Christ from the cross. They, they reveal his character. And all of that is teaching us that he has left us an example that we are to follow in his steps. We'll leave it there for today. Maybe you're here and you're suffering. Maybe not in a physical way, a mental way. Suffering in ways that I can't even begin to describe with words. You're saying to me, but I'm here this morning, preacher, and I want a word. Have you got a word for me? Here's the word. Get your eyes on Christ. Never lose sight of Jesus. Fix your mind in him. And you're saying to me, what aspect? And I'm saying his sufferings in particular. Christ suffered for you. And if you think of him voluntarily entering into that suffering, vicariously, it was on our behalf and the stead of us, and also victorious. And you and him can be victorious. You can cope and endure trials, all because of what Christ has done. Let's therefore seek to live for him. May the Lord bless these few thoughts this morning to our hearts.